And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and joining us today, <laughs> drawing the short straws, are Carl Anker and Andy Mitten. But I promise you this won't be a downbeat podcast. It never is with us. We try and find our way through it as best we can. Of course, another disappointing result for Manchester United, no doubt, against Arsenal, but lots to talk about aside from that. Uh, Carl, it looks like you're at home like me, but Andy Mitten has got a, what is that, some sort of yellow roof behind him. I can see some plug sockets and bricks, and I can hear the sort of, the murmur of action. Where on earth are you, Andy? I'm at Villarreal. I'm going to speak to their manager, Unai Emery ahead of the Champions League semi-final against Liverpool. It guts me just saying this, but I've got to do my job. And once I've done this podcast, I'm going to speak to him. I'm not going to be too bitter. I'm going to be an objective journalist. I'm not going to say that Manchester United beat you twice this season. I'm not going to mention Gdansk through gritted teeth. And I've, <laughs> I've come down to see him. So yeah, this is a, this is the job as a journalist. It's a beautiful sunny day here, uh, as it was in Manchester all last week. Yeah, are you sat in the stadium then, Andy, at the minute? I'm sat in the... Do you want me to show you on the camera? The reserve stadium. Yeah, it might not go down great on the podcast, but I can explain it a little bit. There you go. That's the reserve stadium. So we're seeing basically a lovely green pitch, stands on four sides, it looks like, some tall floodlights and a lovely landscape behind it. So you're in the reserve stadium. Yeah, yes, Manchester United. This is what Villarreal's reserve stadium looks like. They're a very small club and they've got a really nice reserve stadium. And the team who play it have risen as high as the Spanish second division. So imagine like a Premier League team having a team in the championship. It's a really good football club, this. I keep finding myself uh, coming here and being... I admire them a lot. Uh, my feelings were tempered in Gdansk, I must admit. But uh, yeah, I'm here, I'm in the sun and going to speak to Emery for 20 minutes. Excellent. Well, as much as I'd love to carry on this conversation, I suppose we should really talk about Arsenal at the weekend. I said at the top, another disappointing result, Carl. Maybe not a disappointing performance, though. Do you think that was a an improvement of sorts? You can probably hear my intonation. Kind of. Uh, Ralph Ragnick said, gave thoughts afterwards saying he believed the performance was better than that against Liverpool. I mean, he didn't have to work too hard to improve that performance. I think this was one of Cristiano Ronaldo's better games. He he was definitely on it against Arsenal and the game was was there for the taking for I'd say about an hour. It, it got to half time and I thought well, you know, this is maybe a really poor fullback performance not just on United and Arsenal but there was just something about United where you're going the second goal is going to happen. It's going to get to 2-2. And then United will kick on. And then it just didn't quite happen. I described it a bit as the... Um, if you've ever seen schoolyard football where the year 11s play the year 10s and everyone's just chasing after the ball and just giving up on the concept of the central midfield, which, I mean, considering Man United central midfield, that sort of suits them. 
but it didn't quite come together in the end. Andy, what did you think? You were there as well. Was it a case of Arsenal just taking their chances and United not taking theirs, or was there more to it than that? Someone said to me after the game, that was a great game for a neutral, and uh, I agree with that. The problem is, I wasn't watching it as a neutral. I was watching it in the United end. Uh, United were much better than the performance at Anfield, so credit there. Sick of seeing the this team lose. If you look at the way United set up, it was with a 4-4-2, um, with Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes as defensive strikers. I think the intention there was to block Arsenal coming through the middle. Ronaldo, even though he played well and was probably the best player, I think he dropped out of that duty, started standing closer to Gabriel, which became an issue for the team. I think United wanted to push Arsenal out wide. The defence and the full-backs, as Carl mentioned, are definitely a talking point. I'm sick of United going behind so early on in matches. Just let us get to 60 minutes, nil-nil, thinking that we've got half a chance of not, not losing a match. Um, <laughs> I was sorting my daughter out and I missed the kickoff. And when I switched it on, it was 1-0 down. Yeah. I mean, that mentally, that's how it feels watching Manchester United at the minute. Yeah, and I don't it? think United have got a way back in when, when it's like this. That said, the team had about 11 chances in the first 11 minutes. So... That's what it, I mean, was, yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I said about yeah. chances with the question, yeah. yeah. Uh, so disappointing again I think the idea of a top four finish now looks even more improbable it really was a six pointer a draw would have been actually a decent result for Manchester United I wasn't surprised at all No and when when you see Tottenham drop more points as well again you know I'm sure even yourself Andy won't be going checking the league table to work it out this week because of that result against Arsenal but the last few weeks have felt like such a missed opportunity because they've not Liverpool aside, it's not like they've been real difficult games for United necessarily. Even Arsenal away, they looked all right in, didn't they? And again, I'm not surprised because United struggled to overcome the teams at the bottom of the league. So when United are playing against the teams higher up, I don't really go to these games expecting United to win. I don't have a lot of confidence in the team at the moment. You can see the players have got very little confidence themselves. Uh, the manager, I don't have a lot of confidence in the manager, if I'm honest. I think he speaks with great clarity and intelligence, but I'd rather judge him on football matches of the team who plays under him. And I think the results have been really poor. I don't think he reacts well uh, during matches. And I said a few weeks ago, I, I think it's an appointment which hasn't worked. And I stand by that. I realise not every Manchester United fan wants to hear that. That is my view. I'm entitled to it. And... I, I think he's been been disappointing as Manchester United's manager. Maybe he'll be the world's best consultant, but I'm judging him as Manchester United's manager. And I said if he would have got the team into the top four, it would have been a judge to have been a success. But that's not going to happen. Laurie wrote about it before the game, Carl. But perhaps the most eye-catching thing about the Manchester United team sheet at the weekend was Harry Maguire on the bench. He'd had a difficult week off the field, uh, absolutely for absolutely disgusting reasons, to be fair. But in terms of the decision from Rangnick to bench him. What did you make of that and how do you think it went? Uh, I think it's a sensible thing to to, to give Harry Maguire a rest. I, I know Gary Neville had been talking about it, not just this season, but early at the start of last season, that there are times when Maguire essentially needs saving from himself. Bear in mind, I wrote a piece about Maguire's sort of decline in the opinion of Manchester United fans. You think about this time, like, well, around about this time last year, United fans thought Maguire was one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League and it was his injury against Aston Villa in May where United fans were going, oh my God, we might not win the Europa League final because we're not going to have Harry Maguire. Whereas there are times when I'm on social media and I'm seeing goals 
clipped up and gifted and said, look at Harry Maguire. And I'm going, that's not Harry Maguire's fault. Or you're seeing hashtags saying ridiculous things at Harry Maguire. Um, so to watch that game and to watch Manchester United concede after essentially five minutes from a really basic mistake from Varane, another mistake from Alex Tellis where he's doing that thing and he just stands far too central and he's not holding his position wide as a fullback. As a Man United fan, do you go Harry Maguire would have stopped that? I don't think so because Harry Maguire's confidence is really, really low right now. So there's no guarantee. It, there's a there's like a a, a malaise, a, a a lack of confidence through this entire United team that makes everything really hard to watch. It's a bit like when you watch a team at the bottom half of the table and they're re- you know they're they're fighting relegation and everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And I think at this point in time, if you're Harry Maguire, you probably need a rest to save yourself, but also you probably need a rest to not just not get your head right and avoid this sort of negative mindset that is unfortunately affecting a lot of United players at the moment. Yeah, just to try and break it up a little bit. And I think also offer some sort of consequence to not playing well as well, because in, in recent times, it's felt like if Manchester United players haven't played well, they've just continued to be in the starting lineup because the managers felt like there was little option to change it. I mean, Harry Maguire even said in his interview before the Liverpool game, words to the effect of, well, I can't be that bad because I keep getting picked. Um, it seemed quite poetic in a way that he was then dropped for the next game uh, after after hearing that. I mean, Carl, in terms of your take on the match, obviously that's up on the Athletic at the minute. Um, what's the point of Manchester United right now as the opening line? Uh, but there is more to it than that, uh, amazingly. There's a line in it that stood out to me, um, saying that Arsenal just played with a clearer sense of what they actually wanted to do. I mean, it does feel like United's remaining matches and it's felt like this for a little while and especially now the Ten Hag news has been confirmed that that there is a lack of just general direction and appetite for for these games and even Bruno Fernandes I think said it after one of the matches recently we're not really playing for anything now which I don't agree with but that seems to be the sentiment doesn't it it's it's sort of uh, an unfortunate case of sideways drift Um, so you know if they're playing like a team that if they're playing with the confidence level of a team in a relegation battle, they're also talking as if they're a team that knows they're not going to get relegated in that sort of flip-flops on the beach is what they what you say when you, you're 12. And you, I want so much better from this Manchester United team. I, I know I'm often on this podcast and I'm saying, what is the point? And, and I, you know, when it was only going to Solskjaer, I was saying, what is the point? Because I was saying, yeah, you know, you've got this dressing room all pulling in one direction, but you probably need more than just good feeling to win a trophy. And now we've got Ralph Rangnick, who vaguely has an idea of what to do, but it seems as if no one wants to listen to him. He looks more and more like an exasperated substitute teacher who is just fed up with a class that doesn't either can't li- isn't listening or just can't do the things he's trying to teach. And you're just there. There are times where they're missing opportunities or not making the runs. There were two or three times where Alex Delis. I'm going to be quite mean to Alex Solis, I think, today. Where Alex Solis is just not seeing the overlapping run for Jaden Sancho. And you and you can see teammates go, what is the point? I am trying really hard here to make this, to break down this Arsenal attack. And you can't make a simple overlapping run for me. Or, or you can see Cristiano Ronaldo make his runs. And if a teammate isn't on his wavelength, you can see him go, what is the point? And I think that's the, that's a really dangerous thing for this point in time where there are some players that are playing a certain style of football compared to other players playing a different style of football and no one's on the same wavelength. And there are moments where they just go, oh, what is the point of this? 
I think one thing we've not mentioned actually talking about Ronaldo I thought it was absolutely incredible that he was even there really considering that the week that he's had I think a lot of people a lot of players wouldn't have put themselves into that position and to to, to play and and contribute the way he did I thought he, he deserved a lot of credit for that um Andy, one person who's not going to have to suffer this much longer, I think, is Paul Pogba. It sounds like he's kicked his last football for United now, doesn't it? It does if you listen to the manager on Friday. Carl and I were sat next to each other in, in the press conference and once again the manager came out with some really good lines for the media, lines like open-heart surgery. Uh, once again he came across really well. He said, I know exactly what the problems are here. And once again, he, he's perceived to be critical of his players. And a lot of fans like this. I'm not sure the players like it. What's the end product of this? The, 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 the players are listening to the manager basically calling them out, like the fans do. But if their response is not to play for him and lose football matches, then is that the right thing to do? I, I really have my doubts with that. Because one thing Oli Gunnar did, he, he knew there were problems there. He knew there were the exact same problems that are there now but he kept it in-house. And he wasn't as expansive when he did his media. And he did become a little bit cliched. And it did become too predictable. And Ralph is much better when he talks and he, he cares about his appearance. And there's a bit of self-preservation going on, on here as well. I was going to say, that there's maybe two sides to it. There's definitely that, whereby if he says these things, it's removing blame from himself. Could you also argue that it's, it's him starting the harsh reality of people being honest about exactly how bad it's been at the club and how bad it is and how much work the new boss has got. Yeah, it, 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 it absolutely is. And he's right in what he's saying. And these players are underperforming. If you look at what they're paid, which is only an indicator, they're massively underperforming. You've got some of the best paid players in world football here looking like mid-table footballers. So I'm not putting it on one person. I'm saying this is, is, is a collective thing. Lots of people start to apportion blame when things do not go well. Part of it is on the manager. Part of it is definitely on the players. Part of it is on Ollie as well because he would have stayed in the job uh, if United's form wouldn't have fallen apart in in October. But every manager who's come in, every single one post-Ferguson has said exactly the same thing. And I'm just a little bit long in the tooth. I think Ten Hag is going to come in and whether he does it privately or whether he does it publicly... He's going to say exactly the same thing. This team, this club needs turning around. There needs to be a major reconstruction, open heart surgery, call it what you want. Great, he'll get back in, he'll get patience. But is it going to change? I think one of the key words is something Ian's just mentioned about consequences, right? We are, if you look at the history of, of post-Ferguson Manchester United, there are two or three times where... It's an open secret. Some certain players don't have consequences. We've joked on this podcast before. Anthony Martial is Joel Glazer's favorite player, right? And we we know for a fact that Jose Mourinho tried to sell Martial more, more than one occasion, and the opinions of Joel Glazer on Martial may have affected that move. And I, I'll hold my hands up at the point in time when that happened. I went, "Oh, that's that's bad on Mourinho." I absolutely think Martial is a good player, and you should wrap an arm around him rather than bin him off. But also, you know, you look back at it and you go, hang on. That's, we, if we know the owner of a club is not allowing their manager to sell a player because he likes them for certain reasons, uh, is that not at all concerning? Uh, and, also, who are you backing to have an eye for a player? The, the manager who's, who's got a proven track record of, of making these sort of judgments or, 
or Joe Glazer. And we, and we know, we know things like this, right? So there was a, there was this incident last week about how uh, Eric Bai released a, re- put a comment on on an Instagram story with Raphael Varane, where someone said, "Play Varane and Bai," and Bai went, "Yes, please." Which, okay, that's that's mildly funny, but also you're going, "Wait a minute, that's your that's that's one of your defenders publicly undermining your captain, essentially, and um, your manager." And your manager, Ralph Rangnick, was drawn into that. <laughs> Ralph Rangnick was drawn into was drawn into that at a press conference. And said he doesn't know, he doesn't know about Facebook, doesn't know about Instagram. But then you're going, okay, well, and eventually went, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't really be doing that. And there, there just always been tiny little parts of Manchester United where you know certain things are gonna be okay, so so long as you know the money comes in or, or whatever. And you know, talk about consequences. If Manchester United finished fourth, there would have been fewer consequences for people involved in essentially what has been a massive critical system failure for this season. This, the lack of Champions League football this season. I mean, we we know that when they didn't qualify for the Champions League in eighteen nineteen, I think twenty percent of possible bonuses weren't there, and it's damning that that's maybe the only real sort of consequence Manchester United face at, at. two or three junctures in time it's just like even when Manchester United are really bad they're still sixth yeah and speaking of consequences Andy um, trying to sell fanzines at the moment is that, a, is that a difficult task for you considering the consequence of Manchester United's results and how much people want to actually consume this sort of stuff at the minute fanzines are at the best when the team's at the worst in terms of the content oh you're alright then well we're not because people losing <laughs> people lose enthusiasm and the, the sales last month it was tough so I sold at Arsenal at the weekend I st- stood with Barney who does Red News the other Manchester United fanzine we stood outside the away turnstiles I felt a lot of support for what we do you know we need it because the cost of paper has gone up 45% in the last year for example I saw a lot of the regulars United support these are people who will go home and away they'll stick for it by their team through, through thick and thin was it a happy day? not at all I walked along the concourses at half time selling United we stand this this lady came up to me and she she said can I have a look so I gave her one and she's like flicking through and uh, I could tell she wasn't wasn't English I said I said where are you from and she said Madrid so I started speaking to her in Spanish didn't tell her anything about myself and she's like why do you speak Spanish and I said oh, I just do and uh, she bought one and she said my, my son plays for this football club and she pointed towards the pitch and I went Arsenal or United? No, Manchester. And uh, I said, "Who is he?" She said, "Alejandro." And it was um, Garnacho, the, the, the young player. It was his mother from Madrid. Blimey, now, amazing! Now known as Mrs. Garnacho or Senora Garnacho. <laughs> and uh, it was very, it was very nice to meet her. I, I have no idea what she's going to make of United. We stand reading about Mike Duff's poems about being working class life in Newton Heath. But there you go. This is the real world. Yeah, that's fantastic. And did, is she a subscriber now? Then I'm expecting her to follow it up with another another purchase later on in the season. Now, Andy, I have no idea where this is going to go now. <laughs> I, I probably think it's going to really, really pickle her head when she reads it because yeah. there's a there's a lot of very strong opinion in there because the team are not are not doing well. Um, she'll probably read about 
things that she knows absolutely nothing about or who knows she might contact me and say you know i absolutely love jim white's column on page 16 how do i sign up for a subscription she said the family live in manchester now um which which obviously makes okay. sense as well but yeah, it was good. Most United We Stand buyers um, are not mothers of players. Although I did actually see um, Scott McTominay's dad was there as well on Saturday. And at one point, yeah, Wayne was singing, Scott McTominay. And I just looked across to him. I'd like to say there was a great reaction and he joined in, but he did, uh, he did nothing. Oh, uh, really? I'd kill my dad if he didn't join in with my song. I need to see Scott McTominay's dad, and I know someone will get this back to him. And uh, I, I did, did say hello to him before the game. He's a nice fella, Scottish fella. And uh, he needs to be singing his son's song. Absolutely. Too right. What's his name? Mr McTominay. Mrs Garnacho and Mr McTominay. Okay, well, Mrs Garnacho, if you're listening, get your subscription sorted. And Mr McTominay, if you're listening, start singing your son's song. In fact, get it going in the pub before the game. That's what we want. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, well, we know a little bit more now, don't we, about the Ten Hag deal, thanks to some great reporting by Laurie Whitwell and co. All that is on The Athletic at the minute. He's fleshed out the details, some of which, of course, we discussed on the last podcast. And there's a wealth of stuff on there to read, to be honest, all about Ten Hag and what's ahead for him at Manchester United. Um, Carl, right, you've been speaking as well quite a bit about this. You're on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast this week, which people can go and listen to. It's just got a hell of a job on, hasn't it? No matter which way you look at it, but specifically tactically, because United do seem a little bit of a mess at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a great piece from Marum on The Athletic about the sort of issues Ten Hag will have to sort out, and, and they, they are as numerous as... Uh, the goalkeeping situation, how to build up central midfield issues, the fullback situation, uh, and your goal scoring situation if Ronaldo's not doing well. So, uh, essentially, all phases of the ball. Uh, sometimes I go back to there's a tweet from 2013 from the David Moyes era that I go back to every now and again where David Moyes says words to the effect of United need to improve in several areas, including defending, creating chances. Uh, and scoring and you're going all right so not too much United do need a lot of work I think Ten Hag is Ten Hag is one I'm I'm big on how good Ten Hag is tactically I don't think that's necessarily a guarantee he's going to be a good Manchester United manager because there are a lot of issues at Manchester United and not all of them are tactics some of them are dealing with uh, a dysfunctional club 
structure that is still quite confusing even to all of us on this podcast. I know Laurie once did an amazing family tree about how United work and then the next day he had to redo it because Nicky Butt left, you know, and that's the sort of thing Ten Hag needs to do as well. Uh, and I think one thing that is to Ten Hag's advantage that perhaps is not to the advantage of other managers who were interviewed for this job is that we know he's pragmatic. We know that just because he's created some lovely passing football at Ajax, he's not above pumping it long to the big man from his time at Utrecht, from his time at Bayern Munich reserve team as well. So mildly confident that there's a very smart man coming to Manchester United, but we've done this before where smart people and talented people have come to Man United and not kicked on in the way we want. I think one thing, the more I watch this Man United team, I go, he needs fullbacks. Not just because at the moment, I think only Luke Shaw is going to be up for what Ten Hag wants to do. And I'm going to be mean again. He can't do it with Alex Elise. I can't keep watching that. It's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, I think we're all feeling that at the moment. And the right-back situation is no better either, like you say. But that's a lot of work to do in one transfer window, changing three full-backs, let alone the rest of the work that's got to be done as well. Um, you can read Maram Albahana's article on The Athletic. Michael Cox also has written about United's situation and the, the lack of development he's written about in Manchester United's players over the, the last few years. Yeah, Andy might have to jump off at some point because like he said at the top, he's got to interview Villarreal's manager about Manchester United being better than them despite the fact they're in the semi-finals of the Champions League. So we'll have to make our apologies if Andy's got to, got to pop off. But before you go... Andy, you're going to have a quick switcheroo of his Europa League medal by any chance? I'll see what he goes, right? I don't know him, but... 11 years ago I went to um, Valencia when he was manager there to interview a player called Pablo Hernandez who went, ended up going to Leeds and Swansea and uh, the Valencia staff said the manager's about to do a press conference if you want to sit in that's fine so I sat down there unbeknown to me there was a civil war going on between the Valencian journalist Anunay Emery who was just walked near me and uh, I didn't know this Careful. so I asked him a question like if they were about to play Chelsea I think in the Champions League and he gave me the most disdainful, disgusting answer. And I'm thinking, like, what's your beef, you knob? I've done nothing wrong. I've just asked you a question. <laughs> and uh, Valencia staff actually came up to me and apologised. He said, oh, what it is, right? They don't like him and he don't like them because he did this and he did that. And I'm like, well, I might change my opinion. And all these years later, I'm about to speak to him again. <laughs> He's not going to remember that, is he? It sounds like... Um when I come and sit down halfway through Coronation Street and I ask my wife what's happening. <laughs> I think he's a... a very similar sort of take on uh, exactly what the, the situation is. We were going to do this later on in the podcast, but before you have to go, Andy, I think it's wise to ask you about this considering you've been writing about it since most of us were at primary school. There's been a fan-led review in football. There's two outcomes from that which, are, which are seem to be making progress at the minute. Uh, an independent regulator for football has been approved by the government and also it seems that the safe standing trial has been a success. I, I welcome it. I've been writing about fan issues like this for a long time. I was involved in the fan-led review at its inception. I think independent regulation should be welcomed and also have real power to deal with bad club owners. I was appalled at what happened at, at Bury and at Macclesfield Town and at other clubs. Oldham and now as Oldham well, Athletic. becoming the first the first team to drop out of the football league who used to be in the Premier League. No matter what, though, I mean that's just a that's just a headline, really, isn't it? But you know the the situation there is appalling. Oldham really. Athletic is a huge deal to the people of Oldham. It's not just a business; it's a major part of that community, 
and they're a proud football club and those fans have had the piss taken out of them by bad ownership and now they're going to be relegated should never have come to this so what would happen in the future is proper questions would be asked about owners who are coming in and then i think the government needs to have a, a clear path for this this legislation anything that puts the supporters first and support share ownership is definitely uh, a, a good thing the fact that it's fan led I looked at some of the fans on it I thought okay okay I did have some doubts I don't think it's perfect but we've seen major issues with with uh, governance uh, with the type of people taking over football clubs will it mean that Saudi takeover of Newcastle United does not happen in the future I don't think that's for the fan led review I think that's more for, for, for the government proper so this independent regulator because that's what it will be will need real power to deal with the type of people who who ended up getting in into power at clubs um, like Berry. There's been a lot of progress for fans. Uh, in, we talked about things on this podcast like safe standing. I think it's a good thing, really do. And to be fair, Manchester United have been really proactive on bringing stuff like um, safe standing uh, through. But the bottom line is that football clubs are a major part of the community. They are cultural assets. They're not normal commercial businesses. Every single football club, I would say, that that applies to. So I welcome it. I know some people in the Premier League push back against it because they think commercially it could restrict us. And I, I get that as well. You know, you look at the German model and the German teams are not competing at the top, top level, like the big English teams. I spoke to Eintracht Frankfurt fans in Barcelona two weeks ago. None of them would change the way their club is uh, is constructed. Their club president walked through fans before the match. He was an extremely popular person. Could Joel Glazer do that? Not a chance of that happening. So I broadly welcome it. I don't know what you think, Carl. I, I broadly welcome it as well. What you've just said there about limiting commercial opportunities. How many more commercial opportunities do you need than the Premier League? You know, when I've, I've watched... Not only did I watch Manchester United versus Arsenal, but I watched two or three games on the weekend on television and just the amount of things I am being advertised about. Do we need NFTs? Do we need, you know, we joke about the official noodle partner or the mattress partner of Manchester United. How much money do you need, really? It, this is meant to be a sport for everyone and, and the joy of football is, and the reason why football is so popular worldwide is because it's meant to be cheap. To, to make football too expensive for people to enter is to, to go against the spirit of football entirely so yeah I'm very much alongside you Andy Andy do you need to go? No I can carry on for a few more minutes You can carry on okay let's get back to the tactics then for the time being just say when okay. you need to go mate it's no issue whatsoever I'm sure people understand that you're actually a journalist somewhere to do a job today <laughs> uh, as well as do this podcast of course um, lots of stuff on the Athletic like I said before Carl about the situation that, that Eric Ten Hag is facing you said about needing fullbacks. where else do you think Manchester United are most desperate of, of reinforcement and how close do you think Ten Hag's squad starting next season will be to the one that he's going to pick up at the end of May? So I had a go at doing this off the back of a piece Laurie did before we knew Ten Hag made a verbal agreement. So Laurie did a great piece saying United apparently needed to, were in the market for two midfielders, so one attacking, one defender, uh, a right-sided winger uh, and a forward, which I think I've said this before, that's basically the shopping list from the summer of 2020. So Cavani, Ahmad, Palestri, and Donny van der Beek as your attacking central midfielder. Um, 
I would slightly rejig that now we know it's Ten Hag. So I would say number one on the shopping list is defensive midfielder. Uh, and I think you probably even need to go out and get two defensive midfielders. I'd say number two on the list now is probably a right back. I th- that is dependent on Brandon Williams. If Brandon Williams comes back and says he doesn't mind being a backup to Luke Shaw or he doesn't mind playing 20, 30 games at right back, then you don't need to go out and buy two fullbacks. You can just buy one. I think also with Donny van der Beek rucks up, you don't need to buy an attacking midfielder. You can just essentially bring back Donny and then just buy two defensive midfielders. But United, I think it's very, I think, you know, and this is me not talking to agents, but looking at my spreadsheets and looking at my X's and O's on my whiteboard, I think Man United probably need four additions and that would be two defensive midfielders, a right back, and then a right-sided attacker because I'm mad. Uh, again, had half an hour against Motherwell on the weekend for Rangers and he just looked off it, physically speaking. Uh, and I think he might, you know, I think him and, and Palestri probably need just a little bit more time uh, at a league not as physically intense as the Premier League at this point in time. Carl, you mentioned your spreadsheets. Tell me a bit more about these. I'm, I'm intrigued about this. What does your partner say? Do you say, like, listen, husband, okay. I'm just going to update my spreadsheets for a bit. I need to know how this works. I mean, the fun thing is my, my, my missus is an Ajax fan and knows way more about Eric Ten Hag and how Ten Hag tactics work than I do. So I did a piece about looking at seven Ten Hag games and she was very much the one saying, no, no, your, your list is too Champions League centric. You need to get some Eric Devisa games in there as well. Uh, and very. Has she got spreadsheets as well? Uh, she's got spreadsheets of her own. Uh, a lot of them are to do with what chores I do and don't do around the house. <laughs> so for, for the most part, what I, what I tend to do is when, I mean, Arsenal versus Man United just happened, I will watch that game more than once. I will look into Opta stats and see if anything jumps out that I didn't quite see because obviously your angle in the stadium is different from your angle on television. Um, I will see if certain actions on the field are being repeated. So I'm, I, I like to know if you if a football team is doing something deliberately, or if a football team is just two or three players sensing on the on the field that there's an opportunity and they choose to take it. So those are things I like to look for. Um, there are also you know, limitations to every sort of spreadsheet. So I'd say if you're a, I think most people that read into data and analytics would admit that. You don't want to come up. You don't, your your spreadsheet is going to tell you 100% of a centre back, right? So we know for a fact Eric Bay would like to know why he's not playing next to Rafael Varane. Ian and I and yourself can all point out one big reason is Eric Bay doesn't talk much when he plays. He's a quiet centre back, and a key part of being a centre back is talking all the time. So that's something that won't come up in your spreadsheets, but will come up when you watch a game of football. Um, same thing with goalkeepers. There are quiet goalkeepers and they're mouthy goalkeepers. Dean Henderson is a lot gobbier than David De Gea, which meant United can play with a slightly higher line when Dean Henderson's in goal, which doesn't quite come up in the spreadsheets as well. So my spreadsheets are a bit of a homebrew. I like to watch the, every United game more than once. There are some things that I'm never going to wholly get in my spreadsheets. And that's why I think this podcast works because we all got different opinions and we all view the game differently. I, I totally agree. Uh I've watched a few games with professionals. It depresses me how much I miss, how much they see. 
when they're like, just watch the off-centre run here, watch him just go. If he went three yards further left, I'm like, what? <laughs> it just it just guts me, because I wish he had that level of knowledge. And I've watched thousands of games of football, and I think like I can definitely spot a player. But when you, you watch it with someone who's at the top of their game, I need your spreadsheets, basically. Send them to me. There's just a different. There's just a different eye for it as well, though. When you've done it at that level, I remember it's a few years ago now. Romelu Lukaku was playing for United, and and Michael Owen was uh, was with us pitch side to do some some stuff before and after the game, and he sat with us during the match. And I just, I, I'm not saying I pecked his head the whole game, but at one point I asked him a question about Lukaku. What do you think of him? Like, what's what's up with him at the minute? And he. He gave this answer, and I wouldn't even be able to explain it back, to be honest, because of the, the technical detail and the, and the way his brain worked about th- this particular play where a cross had come in from the left-hand side and Lukaku had, had, had gone to finish the ball. And Michael Owen was like, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He's thinking about this, he's reacting to that. If it was me, I'd be going X, Y, Z. And you'd be like, what on earth? So they're like... They're like physicians, really. They're not footballers. The amount of calculations that they're making in their minds mm-hmm. to it to interpret a ball coming in. This isn't a tactical analysis at all. This is just a technical analysis of one particular play. But I think it sort of explained to me at the time just how much more they knew than you sat in the stand bellowing abuse or on a park on a Sunday morning trying to reenact what the players do at the weekend. Like the amount of like the, the scientists, really, to be honest, the, the level of intelligence it requires, football intelligence, to do these things for the top, top players is off the charts. I just agreed with everything he said the last time I did it. Yeah. <laughs> he just, you know, see what Ronaldo should have done there. If he's just been, come back at 70%, just pulled left and right. And then if you see, look at his peripheral vision, you've got this and what. Just thinking that myself as it happens, mate. <laughs> But, but really, <laughs> com- <laughs> completely missed it. I might have to. Uh, yeah. Mr. Emery, one of my mates, has, has got some spreadsheets that you might want to see it. I, rec- <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope he didn't see him before the Champions League, fi- uh, Europa League final last year, Carl. Otherwise, I'm putting that defeat on him. I want to, che- I want to check at your computer and see if you've got a section on penalties. <laughs> And you've you've not leaked it to Villarreal a year ago. I did it after the fact. I did have a look I at the United the penalty did, takers yeah. after the fact. But again, if you want to talk about how you know your spreadsheets can't tell you everything, I genuinely would not have been able to properly understand why Bruno Fernandez's penalty technique has just collapsed a bit. Now, it's, it's interesting. I mean, this is why this is why football is interesting yeah, because is. you can you can read and, and talk to as many people as you want but there are always going to be an incident in a game of football that you just do you know what it never never, it never occurred predict. to me that he's missed two penalties since fans have been back and he was perfect before that you, you saying that now is just lit in a light bulb in my head so maybe i need a spreadsheet of penalties taken in front of fans <laughs> and away from fans just to remind me <laughs> i'm also going to check the cctv here carl at the training ground at villarreal and if i find any evidence of you on it a year ago then I'm nailing that defeat in Gdansk on you. <laughs> Just looking for anyone I'm wearing na- a turtleneck. I'm, na- I'm now seeing the um, Villarreal players walking in front of me. And uh, that, that lad, Dan Juma. So, remember, he was brilliant at Old Trafford, wasn't he? Danny Parejo. He's not got Diogo Delo still chasing exactly. after him, has he? Exactly. Um, yeah. The, the funniest <laughs> that one. That was a torrid first half. The, the one I've spoke to loads, but... I don't, I'm going to go and speak to him. He's Kepuwe. And what I like about him is he doesn't like football. He just said, I'm good at it. <laughs> I find that really refreshing. Yeah, I don't watch it. It's boring. I'm just good at it. Lads, I'm, I'm going to have to go. That's fine, Andy. You, you go, mate. No problem. Enjoy your interview. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Amazing, isn't it? There's me and you sat in our in our back bedrooms, Carl, and uh, <laughs> Andy's driven across Spain this morning to to go and speak to uh, to Unai Emery. Yeah, enjoyed it loads. Let's talk about an interesting uh, topic. Actually, it was a story that was in David Ornstein's column on the Athletic from our own Laurie Whitwell about. Dan Ashworth, who of course is at Newcastle now, but actually was under consideration to be added to the staff at Manchester United and ended up deciding that there wasn't really a role for him in the structure, considering that John Murta's position as football director wasn't going to change. Strange that he was even spoken to, if that was the the situation. Carl, what's your reading of it? So by all accounts, he is one of the most well-regarded people in I'm going to say the bottom half of the Premier League, he did remarkable work at Brighton, I believe, and I believe when he moved to Newcastle in the January transfer window, there were some people in around football going, "That's the signing. That's the signing. That's the most important thing about Newcastle. It's not. It's not that they're, you know, they're the richest football club in the Premier League and they're going to be throwing money here nor there. It's the fact that they've got someone who knows how to properly identify players." how to properly work to a long-term plan and how to work alongside a football manager. That's that's going to be the really interesting thing there. So it doesn't surprise me that Manchester United spoke to him. That's probably quite encouraging. It's, 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 but I think the disappointing thing is this. What I'm only going to be able to describe is Manchester Unitedness, where they are... They get maybe 30 to 40% of the way there or something. You're going, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Do it. And then they don't quite do it. Uh, so I remember at the start of the 2021 season, I was watching the under-23 team. Uh, and I thought, you know, we've, there's a there's a pretty good crop of players here. And uh, I, I did some research to see if Manchester United basically had preferred loan clubs to, to send players out to. And it, it was still ad hoc basic basis. You know, they, it was just rather than say... We're going to play in this certain style, and our first team is going to play in this certain style. So we're going to make sure that every single player that goes out on loan from under twenty threes goes to a team where you're going to play Manchester United esque in style. So when you do go to the first team, it's going to be a nice, easy progression. It was still very much who comes in for him. Do we know if that's a good, um, not necessarily tactical fit, but I'll say a cultural fit? Which again, good. 30% of the way there, but you're going, there's an extra, there's an extra 30% of the way there that can make things so much better. And I think if, if, if Dan Ashworth had been at Manchester United, that would have been something of a coup. Um, the fact that he isn't, 
because Manchester United are choosing to stick with John Murta. I'm not going to say that's a disaster, but I'd say it's one of those, mm, you're almost there. Maybe if this has happened, things could be a bit better, but now we're in a different situation. Let's see what happens next. Yeah, the column also mentions Paul Mitchell as well, who it's understood has been recommended to United by Ralph Rangnick. He's currently the sporting director at Monaco and Don Fifield has written a long read on The Athletic at the minute about Mitchell as well, who's a Mancunian and, and could potentially be an interesting option for United in the future too, considering his track record during his career. Go and have a look at that if you want to know more. But Carl, we just need to finally preview a, a match against a, a team with disinterested players and chaos off the pitch against the team with seemingly disinterested players and chaos off the pitch. It's Manchester United against Chelsea on Thursday. This should be fun, shouldn't it? Yeah, I wonder what Romelu Lukaku thinks of all this then. Will he play? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a question onto it. So I'd play him. Uh, I'd just stick him straight in. <laughs> are you saying that as a United perspective, as you're going to play him because he's out of form, going to miss chances? That, yeah. Or are you saying that from a Chelsea I'm, perspective, as in he's he's going to be fired up and do X Y Z? It's the old school, like go and go and prove him wrong, fella, sort of thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, they, they just seem a bit. I was speaking to a couple of Chelsea fans after after their their result against West Ham on WhatsApp and the sort of complaints that they've got and the the situation that they want clarification on around the football, it, it feels a bit similar really, although they're talking from a position of definitely qualifying for the Champions League, still winning matches despite the chaos and also, of course, being the reigning world and European champions. Um, so it's slightly different in that regard. But they seem to have a lot of concerns that we have, really, in a sense. Yes, yeah, there's a great piece from Liam, our, our Chelsea writer, after their defeat to Arsenal that basically said Chelsea aren't in a crisis, so why are they playing like they are in one? The way the Chelsea um, fans were speaking, it sounded like they're in a crisis. Yeah, it was weird. And they, they they too are having weaknesses at fullback. I think the injuries to Ben Chilwell and Reese James at the start of the season basically kiboshed any title charge they had because Tuchel was very much about attacking with from the fullback areas. Uh, Reese James didn't play against West Ham and, and that's probably why Chelsea was so flat as well. And I also say Lukaku desperately needs Reese James if he's ever going to be a decent Chelsea striker. Uh, and the fact we're saying if rather than when, I'm sure Manchester United fans will have opinions on that. So two teams not in great form, two teams with massive weaknesses at fullback. I'd say right now in terms of striking options, I'd take a 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo over a Mason Mount who is, okay, doing a bit of good form, but not necessarily in, in, in big games against top six opponents. A Kai Havertz who can be streaky at times. And uh, a Romelu Lukaku who's in bad form, although Tim Averna seems to be doing well as well. So you never know. Um, difficult one. Tricky one. Would If I offered you a 1-1 draw, what would you do? Uh, not attend. <laughs> depends what sort of a 1-1 yeah, draw if it's like the Leicester one I'll draw I mean that'd probably be okay wouldn't it I, I don't know now really the, the results seem to mean less and less as the weeks go by and the and the targets slip away as well to be fair and for Chelsea if they're comfortable in third position I guess the results mean even less for them they've still got their eyes on the FA Cup final to a degree so it's a bit of a strange situation for both teams building up to this game Um but yeah, the sort of previewing matches doesn't feel as, as important as it did earlier on in the season on this podcast, Carl, does it? I think we are now in a situation where Ralph Rangnick's interviews 
pre-match interviews and post-match interviews are probably more entertaining than Ralph Ragnick's football. Um, he, he, his candidness is, you know, there are two or three moments you go in the press conference, oh, you said it. Okay, fair enough. Um, to which I, I do often in the press conferences go, could you explain that a little bit more? So after, after the Arsenal game, he said he believed Manchester United didn't defend in, a, in and around their box better and they used to do it quite well up until five and six weeks ago. I you know, put my hand up and I went, well, what happened five or six weeks ago? Is, is it physical fatigue, mental fatigue? Um, to which he said, it's difficult to say, obviously the defeat against Atletico Madrid destroyed us a bit. And you, go, and you just go, blimey, that's, that's a big statement to use the word destroy. Um, he was then asked, you know, does he find the group difficult to motivate? And he said, no, not difficult to motivate, but to find the energy sometimes is quite hard. Which, you, again, you're going, blimey, that's telling. And I think the, the next question that we will probably see in press conferences it, it are, will be to do with that energy, right? Is the, you know, Ralph Rangnick, you, you've been in charge of this football group for I'm saying football group because I don't know if I'm allowed to call my football club at the moment. Um, you've been in charge of them for four or five months. Why ha- Why don't they have the energy? Why haven't you been able to do this? Um, isn't this in some way your responsibility? Um, and I think that will probably be the, the next challenge for the next two or three weeks with Manchester United of just, we know they're not great on confidence. We know they don't seem capable of doing things and their first touch has gone around a bit and now we, we should probably start asking why you know what are they doing at training if Ralph Rennick has said they're probably not training as well as he thinks that they should do considering his talent okay well we'll see what they serve up on Thursday against Chelsea as we said earlier if you'd rather just think about the future there's more Ten Hag and United information on the Athletic than you can shake a stick at if you want a new subscription to it, there's an offer on at the minute as well. It costs you just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access to all our great writing and, of course, ad-free versions of the Athletics podcast, including this one. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. Uh, but just time now to say goodbye from myself and Carl and from Andy as well. It'll be mid interview with, with Emery now explaining why United beat them uh, home and away in the group stages of the Champions League with a big smile on his face I'm sure but we'll be back after the game against Chelsea we'll be recording it post-match inside Old Trafford so look out for that either late on Thursday night or early on Friday morning uh, but for now thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one take care bye-bye Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.